Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the final Something to Talk About show for 2020. Next year, a whole new ball game, but uh, we're thrilled to have you with us here for this final show of the year. Uh, and Vaughn is on her way. I think she is putting her, her tax papers in order for the show, and she will join us shortly. But we decided to have a little special discussion since it was the end of the year. What that means is now you got to start gathering all the information together to take to your accountant for preparation of your taxes. And because of everything that's happened in 2020, I think it's going to raise some questions as to how does it affect how we're, how we're accounting for this, this year. So we've invited a very, very special friend, uh, Robert Gralla, who's a CPA and a good friend, to join us in the conversation. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Stuart, and good morning to all the followers and listeners of Stuart, and thank you so much uh, for the invitation this morning. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, it, it's great to have you, and, 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 and you know, I have never been one to try and second guess what the government is going to regulate from year to year, uh, and especially when it has to do with my money. Uh, that's why it's always a good idea to put it in the hands of someone like Robert, who says, yes, you missed this deduction. And, oh, there's a deduction we didn't miss. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Hello, Vaughn. I, I got your email, and I'm, I'm on. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome. I think you know Robert. Hi, Robert. Uh, good morning. And uh, good, good to have you good here. Good morning. So... What I just I just introduced Robert and I and I mentioned that what we're going to be really kind of focusing on today is getting ready for tax preparation, uh, and I I think that that one of the first questions uh, I'm going to ask Robert if you could share with the audience is, you know, are there some regulations covering the tax preparation of your 2020 taxes? that we haven't seen before, that people need to be aware of. And and I think then then my follow-up question is... Well, during the year in two... Go ahead. Um, well, during the year, I know, uh, there was a couple of changes to the tax law due to the Coronavirus Act and with the new stimulus uh, act that, that went through recently. In general, okay, in general, the tax laws have not really changed. It's the same tax laws that we've always had, income, expenses, deductions, net income, next tax, taxable income. There isn't anything that profound that made huge changes in the tax laws. They're just small changes and they have to do with things like IRA deductions. Um, those PPP loans for businesses and, and things such as that. Uh, if you like, we can talk a little bit more in detail about some of the things that we can deduct, but in general, there have been some changes, but there's nothing that has been so earth shattering that's going to change the realm of tax preparation for 2020 and beyond. One of the first questions that somebody had, had, had asked me to ask you is, the stimulus checks that everybody got earlier in the year, and supposedly they're supposed to be releasing them even as of today. Is that money t 
tax deductible? Or do you have to claim that also claim that as income for the year? That's a very interesting question. And everybody's been asking that question. Basically, that $1,200 stimulus or the amount that you got for that stimulus check is a early distribution of a tax credit for 2020. It's not taxable income to you. Basically, what the government did was this. They said, when you file your tax return for 2020, if you're entitled, you will get a $1,200 tax credit. So what the government did to stimulate the economy is they said, well, instead of waiting to file your 2020 tax return, let's give you the credit beforehand. Let's give you the credit now. So what happens is now when you're going to file your 2020 tax return, they're going to ask a question. Did you get your stimulus check? And you'll say yes. So you won't get that additional tax credit because they gave it to you beforehand. If if, for example, if you didn't get the tax credit, whatever your tax would be for 2020, subtract $1,200. So in essence, the government said, we're going to give you that $1,200 in advance, and then we're going to just deduct that $1,200 when you file your tax return. So basically, they give you $1,200 of free money, non-taxable income that you don't have to repay. Well, under certain circumstances, you do have to repay it. But it's free money that's non-taxable that the government gave to you. And may, may I say this? Let me just backtrack to the way beginning of the program before. I just want to mention this, and I'm required to as a CPA that this is just general tax information, just general tax talk. It's not advice. It's not tax advice. And if you need tax advice, I recommend that you seek a tax professional or seek your tax preparer or the person that prepares your tax return. Thank you. But it's also a good idea that that any of these notes, the, the people that are listening and watching, jot it down because it's definitely something to talk to your accountant and or you know CPA or or tax uh, preparer so that make sure that you are entitled to uh, to every deduction possible that you're not overlooking something. Now, uh, another yeah. another you know, question. Go ahead. We have a little bit of a delay. For those that are listening and watching, we have just a little bit of a delay here. So uh, so bear with us. Go ahead, okay. Robert. Um, actually, with the delay and what you said, I, 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 let's just move on. Let's just move on to the next question, okay? <laughs> Modern technology, got to love it. <laughs> That's right. You know, the... The uh, there's a, been a controversy over the last few years about uh, charitable donations and and medical expenses. Uh, you know, does a person have to keep a record of all their medical expenses, of all their their donations, or is there just a a threshold or something for uh, donations that's automatically deducted from from your your preparation? Okay. Usually when you give uh, a charitable contribution, the organization that you give it to, okay, will give you what they call a contribution letter at uh, beginning of the next year for what you donated them throughout the year. Okay. And that is, is pretty much as good as gold when it comes to an IRS audit. 
for verifying your charitable contribution. Um, usually, I think the number is $250. If you give more than $250, you have to have, they, they're required to give you an acknowledgement letter, a charitable acknowledgement letter of how much you donated to them for charity throughout the year. Um, with that, you, I mean, you can keep your canceled checks, credit card receipts, but that letter is as good as gold, and the IRS will accept that, you know, on an audit. So you technically you don't have to keep canceled checks and credit card receipts and everything else, but it's not a bad idea to keep that. Um, under $75, there's, there's no requirement for any type of uh, document. So what I normally recommend for my clients to do is when they do give a donation to a charity, a cash donation, to also keep a copy of the canceled check or the credit card bill, a credit card receipt, as well as the acknowledgement letter that the, the charity gives to you. So if there's ever a question, you always have the backup for it. Um, as far as medical expenses are concerned, um, what you're really required to do is keep copies of the bills and the credit card receipts that you provide to the service provider, the doctor, the hospital, even the pharmacy. Um, a worst case scenario, if you ask the doctor's billing office to print out a statement throughout the year of what you what you paid, that that will that will work as well. Um, now the thing is this: people think that oh, I spent let's say, for example, $5,000 in medical expenses, so the I can deduct that all. Well, I think this, well, I did spend 1000 but this is my company, reimbursed me. So the, the thing is that it's only what I call out of pocket. So even though you did spend 5000 you were reimbursed, let's say, 3000 you can only deduct 2000 of medical expenses on, on your tax return. And, and get medical expenses, you have to hit certain thresholds before you can deduct dollar number one. Um, you have to have what they call over 7.5% of your adjusted gross income before you can deduct any medical expenses. And any amount over that 7.5% threshold, that goes into your itemized deductions. And then it's the, you have to determine whether you can even itemize or not. Um, this past year, 2020, they raised the um, standard deduction for a single person, actually raise it again for, for, yeah, for 2020. Um, for a single person, your itemized deduction is 12400 And for a married couple, it's 24800 And what that basically means is if you have more itemized deductions, which we can talk about a little bit later, what actually itemized deductions are, if you have more itemized deductions than the standard deduction, you itemize. If you have less than the standard deduction, and itemize, you just take the standard. The government gives you a, a standard amount that you deduct on your tax return. So your medical expenses go into that itemized deduction. Your charitable expenses go into the itemized deduction. And to make it complicated, and I'm telling you, <laughs> when it comes to taxes, there is no simple question. There is no simple answer because so many things are so interrelated. Um, the government did something different for 2020. Um, you can deduct $300 of charitable contributions without itemizing. I mean, obviously, you have to have given $300 in deductions or contributions, but they'll give that to you deduction with itemizing. So, I hope that answers your question, or did I give you too much information? <laughs> now, there's never too much information, that's for sure. Uh, but what you, what you just said, uh, is kind of the foundation for what I started at the beginning of the show. And that was, 
If you have questions, it's good to have a CPA, an accountant, or a qualified tax preparer uh, uh, to to run all this information past. Be, because, you know, you can go down to the big box stores and order TurboTax and try and do it on your own. But I don't think it's anything like trying to do it through a, a an individual who is as well versed on all of this as you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny on the back of saying, um, saying it's a saying that gentlemen read a day, and it says, if you think the cost for a professional is expensive, try hiring an amateur. And I say that when it comes to tax preparation, a lot of people think they can themselves, and that's fine. Give them a shot, let them do it. And sometimes tax is not that complicated that they can. But sometimes you need a professional because for two reasons. One, it's possible you can save more money in taxes by using a professional. And two, it'll keep you out of trouble with the IRS as well. You might do things on your tax return that you may not be allowed to do, or you may not follow, follow regulations as well as you're supposed to. And you get what I call an IRS love letter, okay? which is basically <laughs> a letter that says, Dear taxpayer, <laughs> you owe us money. So we need we, we need to talk. Definitely. <laughs> I I sent I sent in a a, a, a question and uh, I I I think I knew the answer uh, that you still have to maintain your records for seven years uh, and all. And Robert's answer was yes. So it is a good idea to get yourself a big plastic bin and keep your tax returns and yes. all the backup information for, for that period of time, just in case you get that lovely letter from your friends at the IRS. And, and a follow-up question to that is how do you dispose yes. of it? I recommend. This is Sorry. Okay. Well, first That's of all, it. I'll answer the easy question first. To dispose of it, I would rather or bring them to a place that they're shredded. I wouldn't just rip them up, put them in the garbage, or just, just throw them in the garbage. There's a lot of sensitive information. It has your, your, you have your brokerage information, your bank account information, social security, even the date of birth. Sensitive information for identity theft. I would recommend shredding anything that you have to do with your taxes um, when, you, when it's time to throw them out. Now, getting back to the seven years, that's what I recommend. First of all, on a regular tax return, statute of limitation or an audit is approximately three years from the date you file or the extended due date. So let's say for 2021, you file a return April 15th, excuse me, for 2020, you file April 15th, 2021. If you count three years, that's 22, 23, 24, April 16th, statute run out and audit you. However, in some instances, they still can. They can have up to seven years. If there's tax fraud, tax evasion, you know, and things such as that, or over a certain amount of, of money that you didn't record and report as income. So it's always good to save things for seven years. And that's what I recommend my clients. Minimum, minimum three, and I would say seven years, you're good to this tax. And, and the other thing is, if by chance, okay, you, something happens and you need a tax return, so you dispose of returns and your information, you can get transcripts from the IRS. There's various ways to get transcripts. You can go back possibly 10, 20 years transcripts from the IRS if, if you really need them. 
there's there's so much so much to so much to to know much to cover now i have an area that i want you to cover because i've always wondered about it if someone has a a investment portfolio 2020 was a very good year for most people that had investments which means they're going to have uh, you know uh, dividend income uh is it a good idea, and you only have a day or so left, to contact your accountant and, and get an idea? Because if your income level says uh, that you made $20,000, you may have to pay $20,000 to the government in taxes. Do you have an option of donating, making donations up to $20,000 in order to reduce that tax hit? Well, yes, as I said, tax, there's no simple answer. Yes and no. $20,000 worth of capital gains, first of all, capital gains, which means you put stock or security. Over one year, you get preferred tax rates. It could be 5, 10, 15%, up to, it could be up to 28%. Um, but normally you have a lower tax rate for your capital gains. And in some instances, there's a zero tax rate for capital gains. Your, your income is low enough. So what you're basically looking to do, what you're saying is that make charitable contributions to write off or, or shelter, so to speak, the actual gains that you're making in the stock market. Yes, that can work. Okay, it also depends on how your itemized deductions are. If you make a $20,000 contribution, and that's your only itemized deduction. You can't do this you're below that threshold in some cases. But yeah, you can make charitable contributions, which would help the extra tax you will pay for that capital gain. But once again, every tax return is different. And I, before you would do something like that, I would recommend you seek help from your professional tax preparer or your tax advisor. The case is, is a little different. Um, talking about capital gains, just as a side note, between now and the end of the year, possible. If you have capital gains, look through your portfolio. See if there are any capital losses. You could write those losses off against your gains. So let's say, for example, you do have you had a great year in the market and certain stocks, you made twenty thousand dollars in gains. Congratulations, you did well. But let's say you had five thousand dollars in some other stock that were just really, really bad. Sell that stock at the end of before the end of the year. You can now deduct that five thousand against the twenty thousand dollar gain. And lo and behold, you only have a $15,000 gain. That stock is doing bad. At least you might have lost money on it. It's not at least utilized. It saves some money on taxes with that. Make sense? Yeah, it. I, I mean, it does because I would rather give it to a charity than to give it to the government. Yeah. You know, that that, that, that make, makes more yeah. sense to, to me. I I. So now, Vaughn, you're going to be you're going to be faced. Uh, you you have a friend, Daniel Rubin. If you can see that on the screen, Robert, <laughs> you can address that one to Daniel. That's my nephew. Very big sense of humor. He kind of takes on. <laughs> I, I call that, I call, I am just answer his question. 
process regulations. Uh, the Passover Haroset regulations covers what he's talking about. So we can move on to the next question now. <laughs> now, Vaughn, you have got you're you're facing in the new year uh, a, a wedding in the family. So there are going to be certain expenses that are going to be added. Are there any kind of, of options that, that Vaughn and her family and her future daughter-in-law's family uh, can look at uh, as far as ways to reduce their tax hit when they have upcoming expenses like a wedding? No. No. Honestly, it's a personal matter, it's a personal affair thing, and um, you, there's no tax deduction if you have a family wedding. Um, there just aren't any. And, um, once again, also, it's something that's kind of personal, and you might want to speak with your tax advisor uh, just to go over some of the some of the um, wedding plans if there is something. But I would say 99.9999. .9 there are no tax deductions. Unfortunately, for a wedding. I mean, think of it this way. You're spending all of this money, but you're, you're gaining a wonderful daughter-in-law, I guess. <laughs> that, and you can't put a price, you can't put a price on that, right? Worth it. That's right. In fact, there there may there may not be a tax deduction, but there's going to be an additional liability in the family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of family, I actually have Phil. Um, I have I have my husband, Robert. His name is Phil. He's sitting next to me here. He wanted to listen in to the show here, but um, he, he's asking a question. Uh, how about top three watch outs when preparing your own tax return? Okay. Um, if you're using like, for example, TurboTax, um, they have at the end reviewed the return. I would definitely hit that review button and make sure that everything passes muster that there are no open items or everything looks looks good. And also do what they call an audit on TurboTax because that might open up categories that look kind of funny to the IRS. They could be totally legit, but I would definitely run by something like that because they go with statistical analysis. In other words, if you make $50,000 in salary and you're contributing 150 in charitable contributions, that might look kind of funny. And they'll open up that, that audit review and tell you whether that looks good or bad. I mean, other than that, what I would do is I would double check all of the numbers. In other words, I would make sure that when you're putting the information in from a W-2 form for your salary, your um, 1099s, I would make sure that you don't brush numbers, transpose numbers, make sure I put down correct. Um, and I would just make sure that everything's reviewed properly, even as close to the social security number. Your name is, is spelled correctly on a return. Check the social security numbers that they're correctly addressed. And double check all the information is on the tax return that is put on correctly. All of the numbers are put on correctly. Um, I can go into detail. Uh, it will probably take a long time how to summarize certain things. Like I would take, for example, if you had three or four W-2 forms, I would add up all the gross salary in one number and make sure that that agrees to what's on things like line one on the tax return for gross salary. Mm -hmm. Do like double checks. And the best thing you can do is show that everything is put on under tax return. Correctly. And I would say, you know, look at the return when you're done and make sure that it makes sense. But but with, with all due respect, as, as a non-tax professional, you're looking at a return and you're hoping that the tax software did it correctly. You're not really sure what, what it looks like. 
I mean, for example, I use the tax software as a tool. It doesn't prepare the return per se. I mean, it puts the numbers on the forms for me, does the calculations. But then I look the return over. And in my experience, I go, does this tax return make sense? I compare it to last year's return, which is another good point. Look at last year's return. A lot of times what will happen is, let's say you had three or four banks that gave you interest in 2019, and now you're preparing a 2020 return, and you only have two banks that you're showing gave you interest for the year. Well, did you close out those accounts, or did you forget to put those numbers on the tax return? Use last year's tax return as, as a guide for um, for your pre-2020 tax return. That's the best advice I could probably give for someone that's preparing their returns. Or you can have a, possibly a tax professional over for you. Just give it an eyeball before you um, before you send it in. My father. Yeah, we. Yeah, Phil said that's all very good advice, and we actually have. <clears throat> pardon me, Phil's father, who does our. Um, he's a former uh, accountant. He's a former accountant, and so not only do we feel like we're in professional hands, which we are, but we're also okay. we have a family member who we can, you know, obviously. He's looking out for our best interests and knows our family very well. And it's nice to have one of those in the family. <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, I mean, it's good and it's bad to have an accountant in the family. Yeah. You can rely for help. But in the family, I get a lot of phone calls a lot of times. <laughs> I got a lot of advice. But I love my family and I help them anytime I can. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Well, you you can see that I'm clearly not contributing a lot of comments to these this conversation. I am not the numbers person in our family. It's it's clearly Phil, which is why I have him sitting in here today because I am um, I I was I was great in English and reading and all of that. Not <laughs> Mill, Phil's the numbers guy. In expenses. <laughs> Well, he said, I'm good at spending the money, not counting the money. That, that's yeah. We, that I always say that, that Lauren and I have a mathematical relationship. Yes. I, I I'm in charge of addition and she's in charge of subtraction. Very good. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but Sometimes they don't balance. <laughs> <laughs> Most times that's they don't. You know, Robert, as people start to get ready for the upcoming tax season, uh, Lauren is very meticulous. She takes all of the medical expenses, puts them together, and then puts them on like a cover sheet that lists the name of each doctor and how much was, was spent. She'll do the same thing for donations. Is this a good policy for people to do gather all the information, and then try and summarize it in a page or two to not only present to their accountant, but also to keep in their records. Yes, excellent. Um, I would say when you're preparing your taxes and putting together information like that, Excel, Microsoft Excel is your best friend. You could list all of the different items on an Excel spreadsheet and it will total it up for you. And then you can take that number, have a summary sheet. So yes, it's always good to have a, a, a spreadsheet like Dr. A, you know, the date you went in the amount, Dr. B, the date you went there, the amount. 
um, charity number one, you know, church number one, you know, how much you contributed in the day, church number two, how much you contributed on the day. It's always good to have an Excel spreadsheet to put all those items on, add it up, and then you can have a summary sheet. And you can give the summary sheet all the Excel work, workbook to your accountant so they can look at all the detail work as well. Um, find all the actual backup receipts that you that you have. I, I don't, not necessarily. It depends. The, the tax preparer might want them or may not. If a client came to me and I and said to me, I gave a doctor $25,000 for whatever procedure or whatever they did, something like that, I would want to see the actual receipt just to double check to make sure it's a valid receipt. And, but if someone came to me and said, oh, I went to the doctor and my copay was ten or fifteen dollars not i would not necessarily need to see the receipt it's a small amount it, it's immaterial um just as a side note and um talking about medical bills as a little tax tip you can deduct the mileage as a medical expense from your home to the doctor's office or the medical facility or the provider and and back home i i forget what the number was in 2020 it was cents or 17 cents a mile so let's say you do you know 100, 200, 300 miles a year from your home to the doctor or to the hospital. And let's say it's not, a, not let's say it's not so much you, but it's your spouse that you're driving. Same thing. That mileage is deductible. So you might want to keep track of your automobile mileage when you're going to medical facilities, doctors, hospitals, and things such as that nature. The other thing is, is the same thing for charity. I mean, if you go to the church or the synagogue for the religious service from your home to there, you can't deduct that mileage. But let's say you're on the board of directors for a church, or let's say you're doing some sort of a charitable event, you know, and you're on the board of the charitable event. That would be that could be considered charitable miles. That's deductible as well for charitable contribution purposes. So for medical purposes, you might want to keep track of your miles. For charitable contribution, you might want to keep track of the miles that you have on your vehicle for when you're serving on a on a charity or on a board or you're doing work for a charity not just not the mileage going to and from the service but more for work they're doing for the charitable organization did you say that that mileage is is uh calculated at 17 cents a mile um don't quote me on that it's 14 cents or 17 cents um and it changes every year. And, you know, I, I, I'm an accountant. I'm, I'm a CPA. I'm not the encyclopedia Britannica. I don't have every single number memorized. A number like that, I mean, I should know, but it's about 14 to or 17 cents a mile, somewhere in that range. Whereas business mileage is, is over 50 cents a mile. But it's, it's a little bit. It's not, I don't think it'll make or break whether you're going to pay a lot of money or not in tax. But it's a little gimme that the government gives you. And you might want to take advantage of it if you can. Okay? Um, yeah. That's what I write. No, I, I I think that's a very valid point because if if you are say on the board of a nonprofit and they are are, are downtown and it's a it's a you know twenty five mile journey down to the meeting and twenty five miles back uh, over the course of a year that can add up to a a reasonable deduction. So it's good good to know. Yeah, actually, Phil just yeah. uh, Phil just Googled that, and it's interesting because yeah. we 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 didn't you know, know that. Yeah, 
See, that, that's why I'm, that's why it pays sometimes to work with a tax professional. They can give you Absolutely. advice and, and help you and save you more taxes. And then many times they'll say it's possible they can save you more actual fees. So and that that's helpful too. And you know you're on the right track as well, working with a tax professional. What I've done, Stuart, if, if you don't mind, is um, I've come up with a couple of ideas, a couple of tips that people follow and even have time to do this, even though it's 30, tomorrow is the last day of the year, a couple of things they could possibly do to still save money in taxes for 2020. I have a, a little list here that I made. Would you mind if I went over some of these items? and Abs Absolutely. On them? Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. Go for it. Okay, great. First and foremost is I always say people need to save for retirement. Retirement is a great vehicle to put money away in. Money grows tax-free and you can get a tax deduction for it. Um, I always say contribute to a, a Roth or a traditional IRA. Now, 2020, you have until your filing date, which is April 15th, 2021, to put away money for, a, for an IRA. I mean, you can still do it by the end of the year, but you have until 2021, April 15th, for your 2020 um, tax return. An individual can put $6,000 into an IRA, and um, if you're over 50, you can put $7,000 in, into an IRA, a traditional IRA. And one tip I'd like to recommend is, let's say you have a stay-at-home spouse that does not work. I mean, we, they always say that the spouse works in the home. You can't say they don't work. It's true, though. So if I have salary and I put away money in an IRA, you could put away money for your spouse for an IRA. It's called a spousal IRA. A lot of people didn't know that. So let's say you're, you're, you're 35, 40 years old. You're making 100, 150,000, 50,000, 75,000 in salary. You can put away $6,000, let's say, for an IRA. And it's possible you can also put away $6,000 for an IRA. Just two things. One, you can deduction for Two, it helps with your retirement as well. So I recommend IRAs, whether you do a traditional Roth, that you don't have to do by December 31st. You can do that by April 15th, 2021 to 2020. Um, there's something called an HSA, Health Savings Account. You can max that out. If your employer provides it or, you, or it's done through your work, you can get funding for it on, on a pre-tax basis. So basically, you're saving taxes. In other words, let's say you're funding at $1,000. So what happens is, let's say your salary here is 100000 You fund your HSA, and you're only going to be taxed on $99,000. You save $1,000. And that HSA money is used for medical expenses. If you don't have an HSA at work, you can... Do your own HSA tax deduction for the money you contribute to the HSA. Uh, 2020, I mean, what I have, your HSA is $3,550 for and, and $7,100 for a married couple. But you have to have a high deductible health insurance plan for, for an HSA. These days, it doesn't, doesn't take much. Uh, recently, yeah. we, we spoke earlier before about making charitable contributions. Not too late before the end of the year to make charitable contributions. Um, if anything, though, I would deliver the check or the cash directly at this point to make sure that they receive it by 2000, by the end of 2020. Put it through the mail. They, they may not get it on time and it could be questionable whether it could be for 2020 or 2021. So you may want to deliver it before, by hand before the end of the year. Um, there's something called, oh, oh one other thing. Um, sometimes people have appreciated stock. And we spoke about that earlier about capital gains on stock. 
Well, if you donate that stock, you could get the deduction for the appreciated value of the stock. Instead of paying capital gain, you get a charitable deduction. What that means is this. You buy stock for $3,000, and now the stock is worth $5,000. You decide to get it in, you have to pay $2,000 capital gain. If you take that $5,000 stock and you donate it to a charity, certain limitations, you get a $5,000 charitable contribution. So the question is, you know, you have $5,000, you can donate it to a charity, or you can pay the capital gain tax on it. If, depending on how that fits your tax picture, it's something that you might want to, something that you might want to consider and think about and run that your tax person. Um, we do something called bunching real estate taxes. Now, everyone hates paying their real estate taxes. And normally they're paid in January of the, of, of the, of the year. Um, so what I recommend some clients do, depending on how they itemize, what they can do is they could take in December of the one year, they can pay their, let's say, for example, their 2020 real estate taxes and the 2001 real estate taxes. Those together, that might push them over the threshold to itemize their deduction. Again, something you might want to speak about with your tax professional called bunching real estate taxes. Um, uh, let's see what we something called a home office expense. Now, with the COVID and everybody being at home this past year, a lot of people work from home, but there are ways that you can deduct a home office expense. Strict rules and regulations for it. It's gotta be regular and exclusive, a whole bunch of other things. And you can take a portion of your home or your apartment, and you could write that off as a home office expense. If, I mean, let me take a caveat there, if you're self-employed, if you have a W-2 in your and you get a salary, you, you can't deduct that. But you know, a lot of people out there they have the gig economy or they're self-employed people like, like you and I. So you can take a portion of your home or your apartment and write that off as a as a business expense, legitimately. It's something that you might want to speak about with your with your tax preparer. Um, work with a professional. You know, as I said, times it's better to work with a professional. Um, it's just better to work with a professional. You know, as I said. Um, it's just good. I can't think of my experience for the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, the other thing is if you're self-employed, um, you have to buy supplies, you have to buy equipment, furniture, computers, business cards, rent, what have you. A lot of self-employed people are on what they call the cash basis. So if you know next year, the beginning of the year, you're going to buy a couple of cases of computer paper. You're going to buy ink. You're going to buy supplies. You're going to buy a new desk, a new computer. Buy it now. Get the deduction for for the end of the year. If you know you're going to be spending money, if you have the money to spend right now, the cash flow, get it out of the way. Buy it now. Take the deduction now. We'll figure out what to do next year for more deductions. So those are a couple of tips. And most importantly, keep good records. Okay? A lot of people will come into me without any records, and we got to recreate them. I will guarantee 90% of the time being records, People deductions. Good records. I recommend you have a business, have at least one separate business account. Run your expenses through the business account. Don't run your personal business account. Don't run your business personal account. Have a separate business account because this way you go on that account. You know everything in there. The money that went into the account is business income. Money that went out of the account is business expenses. You have to go and backtrack at the end of the year. You will lose expenses almost guaranteed. So those are a couple of tips.
that I, I want your viewers to, to, to understand and speak to their tax professional about because it's ways that they can save tax, tax money and tax dollars between now and the end of the year. I hope that helps. Yeah, those are great tips. And actually, it's interesting because Phil had asked me to ask you about home office deductions because he is um, he's not traveling right now with his company. He's not going into the office. And there's word that his company and some other people that we know um, that they might continue that new kind of um, work structure moving forward. So I guess my question would be, if in fact some of these companies move forward where they will not have their employer employees come back into the office again ever, um, even though they have the W-2, you're saying basically still because they're not self-employed, they cannot, this is not tax deductible to have a home office, even though they're not going into an office anymore. Unfortunately, last year, when they changed, when they changed the tax law actually a few years ago, they did away with something called employee business expenses. So if you work for a company um, and you were not reimbursed for your expenses, okay, you were able to deduct them on tax return as an itemized deduction within certain limitations. Um, when they changed the tax law a few years ago, they did away with that. And you can no longer deduct uh, employee expenses. And part of that would be home office expenses. On a positive note, a note about that though, your employee business expenses, if you were under, under a salary, was an itemized deduction. When they did away with certain itemized deductions such that they raised the standard deduction to kind of make up for that. So it's not a total loss. They made up for it in other ways. But generally right now, like in your situation, unfortunately, if your husband is a salary employee, um, he cannot take a home office expense. However, okay, and, and this is legitimate, certain companies have what's called an accountable plan. And what that means is as an employee, you can submit your expenses. For example, if you go out and you entertain people, you take them out for lunch or dinner for a sales call, or you have uh, automobile expenses and, and things such as that. Okay, you can submit an expense report to a company and they can reimburse you for it. That's not taxable income to you. And it's not, and it's a tax deduction for the company. So you lost your uh, employee business expansion. So a lot of companies, they, in, in, they put into place an accountable expense plan. Employees give them the exact amount of their expenses. They're reimbursed for it. Employees deduct it because they can't. They get reimbursed for it though. And companies still get the tax deduction for those expenses. It's kind of a win-win and a workaround. For no more employee expense deductions on on a, on. A... So if you work for a company, ask them if they have an accountable plan, and see if you can take your deductions that way. You know, Robert, you brought up a point earlier about an office, a home office deduction. Let's say I was an employee of a company, and I was laid off because of COVID. Uh, so uh -huh. now I'm at home. And I've set up a little home uh -huh. office in order to try and find a, a new position somewhere. Can I now deduct that time in my home office as a as a deduction? Uh -huh.
Um, sorry to say, Stuart, probably not. And, and let me explain why. If you have a home office just for the sake of finding a new job, that's considered um, job hunting expense. And that's not deductible anymore. Okay. Okay. If you did, I was laid off from my regular job and I decided to go to widget business. And now working widget business out of your home, you then can have a home office deduction. So a home office deduction has to coincide with the business. It can't just be there for nothing and for no other reason. It has to be there for business and has to have a business purpose. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Well, they're obviously the more questions that we have and the more answers we get, yeah. the more questions come up. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, that's why it's important to have someone like Robert that can point you in the right direction. Uh, and, and all, uh, Robert, if, you know, if, if I may, if someone has a question, wants to run it past you or they need your services, uh, can they give you a, a, a call and what, what's the best phone number for them to reach you at? Okay, certainly. I'd be more than happy to help people if they have a couple quick questions. I'd be more than happy to help you, viewers. I can reach my best number is area code 214-244-2535. Let me repeat that. 214-244-2535. You can email me at... Robert, excuse me, at rgrala, R-G-R-A-L-L-A, -L -L -A, at robertgrala.com. I'd be more than happy to help if I can. And I'd do the best I can to help you, help viewers, and whatever I can do to help. Well, I, 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 thank, I thank you very, very much for, for joining us, and I, I hope the waters haven't become too muddied uh, for any everyone that's that's listening and, and watching, uh, it's important because uh, you know I always I always say I, I want to give less to the government. It, and you mentioned, for instance, one very key point that you mentioned that I think is important. You have until April fifteenth in order to do an IRA uh, contribution. So if again you find out as you're preparing your taxes that you're going to have to pay some pretty good taxes on, on 2020. You might want to take a certain portion of that money and put it into an IRA, and that way you can deduct it from the amount of money that you have to pay to the government. Am I correct on that, Robert? Yeah. That's correct. That is 100% okay. correct. And, right. and if you have a, if you're self-employed, you can do a self-employed pension, and you have a little more time than that to put that money in. So there are ways through funding retirement accounts to save money in taxes. Once again, everyone is tax situation is different. Speak to your tax professional; they can help you the most with those with that type of plan. Well, again, Robert, thank you again for your expertise and for, for joining us. And to Phil and to uh, to Vaughn, uh, Vaughn, today's the day for you to kind of figure out if there was some extra money earned over the year because you got until tomorrow to go out and spend it. 
That's my that's my takeaway from this conversation. <laughs> there you go. That's the takeaway from the show. So thank you again. That is our last show for this year. We will see you again next year. We wish everyone a very, very happy new year and a very healthy year ahead. And please join us again next week for another edition of Something to Talk About. You all take care and be well. Stay well. Thank you.